Yeah, yeah. Is that working yeah. through that one? Because that, that died to death. Is it coming through? Can you hear it? That's right. You can hear me anyway, probably. But, uh, and I won't like to say, who? Were they? Um, right, let me get everything sorted. I'm a bit of a all over the shop today. Right, make sure I get the clicker. I'll be on. Is it both played as he comes? We see him. Oh, oh, hang on, don't give it away. Don't give it away, Pike. Jen, just want to say thanks for all that, you know, not for all those who took part of those who didn't. Why didn't you? I don't mean it like that. Just thank you that we stood up, stepped out, um, opportunity to use gifts where we can. Um, and just thank you. Uh, you know, it's, it's body ministry. Um, bless each one of you um, for doing that. Um, so thank you for communion. Um, it is enough. Very true. Oh, it's already running. Okay. Uh, what, what, <laughs> the reading then. If you want to turn to your Bibles, if you haven't got your Bibles, obviously, you know, we, we do it on the screen. Mark 2. 1 to 12. This, so we've been on the book of Mark for a couple of months and we're on chapter 2. Um, and again, he entered Capernaum after some days. And it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there's no, long, no longer room to receive them. Not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near because of the crowd... They uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves. He said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easy to say. To the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose, took up the bed, went out of the presence of them all, so that they were all amazed and glorifying God, saying, we never saw anything like this. I want to speak for a time this morning on audacious prayer. I like idioms. I even love the word idiom. It's a bizarre word. But idioms, those, those sayings that maybe were coined hundreds of years ago, but they're part of our culture. We've embraced them. Not just one, but many. Some was only about five years ago, and it's caught on into modern language. Some hundreds of years. But we use them. That's the beauty of the modern language. We can take what is given in another context and use them today. Even though maybe many of them, we actually don't understand where they came from, but we'll use them. Like, round the reeking. Uh, when I came home the other day to be with Jen, uh, I was doing one job with this guy, and he's from uh, High Wycombe. And I said, if you go around that way, you're going to go around the Reekin. And I thought, I bet he doesn't understand what around the Reekin. 
What's wearing the regal? Where does that come from? Or let your hair down. We know what it means. For some of us, Mark, that was that years ago. I had a perm in 79 and it all fell out after that. Barking up the wrong tree. We all use it. But where, where, it had a context. But it, we use it. Bite the bullies. Cat got your tongue. Caught red-handed. We know it means thieving. But why, what's red-handed to do with anything? Kick the bucket. That's another one we use. But often we look at phrases that Shakespeare wrote hundreds of years ago. And we've taken his phrases that was in theatre and we use it as part of our modern language. Like, wild goose chase. That's from Romeo and Juliet. Green-eyed monster. Oh, beware, my lord of jealousy. It is the green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat it feeds on. I I, I, I walked the boards once uh, when I was at school. Mariah Martin and the murder in the old red barn. I walked the boards. But the green-eyed monster, we know what that means. Oh, the green-eyed monster. Jealousy. Pure as the driven snow. It's, it's a saying that we say it. And it come from Hamlet. Seen better days. Well, that's some of us. Um, not all. Me. As you like it. Act two, scene seven. It's a saying we say. Seen better days. There has time we replaced it. But it's context. Off with his head. If thou protector of this damned strumpet. I love that word, strumpet. We used to say it years ago when I was in in the industry. I never knew what it meant. I think it meant a lady of ill repute. Strumpet. Talkest thou to me of ifs thou art a traitor. Off with his head. And yet, you know, sometimes it's, it's a saying that we use. Good riddance. That was coined by Shakespeare, and yet we use it. It's part of our modern-day language, from Troilus and Cressida. You've got to be cruel to be kind. Many of us have said that. Let's tell him the truth. You've got to be cruel to be kind. We'll say it. It comes from Shakespeare. It's Greek to me. Half this sermon will probably be Greek to most of us, but uh, it's Greek to me, Julius Caesar. What else we got? Love is blind. Break the ice, taming of the shroom. Heart of gold, that's, a, that's another one we've used. You got killed with kindness. And you can have too much of a good thing. All these sayings, and there's more. Another one Shakespeare coined was puking. I mean, I was going to bring that, and I couldn't find it after I looked at it. I mean, Jane knows all about that last week. Puking, retching and puking. Wear my heart upon my sleeve. I, I did that. I'm one of these, or wear my heart. And I've often said it, I wear my heart upon my sleeve. Never realised Shakespeare coined it. Uh, vanish into thin air. Uh, method to my madness. One foul swoop. Then with the green-eyed monster. So we look at the tapestry of language and things that were said Hundreds of years ago, maybe, we will embrace them in modern language. But I think one of the saddest things in Christianity is when we become siloed. This is the way we approach God and no other way. We we, we dismiss any other way. For example, I knew one uh, Pentecostal man and uh, he said, 
I won't coin exactly his words, but the spirit of what he said was, if it's not Pentecostalism, I don't want anything to do with it. He had siloed his approach to God, his walk to God, depending upon Pentecostalism. And there's so much of Christian um, history and, and the way to approach God that we can so much embrace, but we tend to be our way, and sometimes our way is right. Even with the thought of evangelical Christianity, oh, I'm an evangelical Christian, therefore I'm right. And anybody who isn't must be wrong. And that's what's been drummed into me subconsciously over the years. And yet we know one size does not fit all. We can embrace so many different ways to come to God. So many styles that I think we are poorer when we dismiss them. And one of the um, ways, that if you read scripture, there's one way of approaching God. It's called chutzpah. It's a style of prayer that you often see in the Bible. And chutzpah, it's Yiddish, and it means audacity, cheek, effrontery, gall, nerve, and temerity. And maybe many of us wouldn't come to God with gall, with cheek, with audacity. Maybe we're a bit too respectful or maybe we're too British to do anything else. But if you read scripture, so often there's a shameless boldness that many come to God with this attitude, this temerity, this audacity, this cheek, this nerve. Jamie, would you, do you want to play the video? This video that we're going to play now is, um, is just what we've just read.
Weil du sagst, dass du dich nicht Thank you. I don't know about you, you've probably read scriptures time and time and time again. I've read that story hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. And sometimes, you know, you know what's going to happen next. And I'm not sure if it was me, my brain was somewhere else, or it was the Holy Spirit. But when I read it the other day, I got to verse... Uh, where it says, verse, verse 4, and where it says, um, and when they could not come near him because of the crowd, something triggered in my head. It was as if I was there. And you, you look at the situation and you, you look and you view it and the crowds, it said they couldn't even come into the house. And when I got near there, 
and I couldn't get in, we walked away. Disappointed. Sad. We tried our best. But I'm sorry, that's how it is. And I don't know why my mind went there, because I knew the story. Every story has a backstory. When I used to arrest people in the day, you'd take them to court. And the charge would be read out, and there would be, you know, prosecution evidence and defence evidence. And then if they, you know, if they were found guilty... Or not even if they're found guilty, sometimes the, magist- the, the defence solicitor would bring mitigation. Yes, my client has stolen, but he was hungry. Yes, my client did do that, but because of his upbringing. And, and oftentimes you'd heard stories, you think, I cannot believe you're even using this as a backstory to mitigate what you have done. And I know when I went to court in my days of being a criminal... Well, I drove my motorbike one-handed, allegedly, at 16 years of age. And I had to go to court, and the charge was read out. And they said, is there anything you want to say? And my mum, in mitigation, stood up and said, but he's a lovely boy. <laughs> he's a Sunday school... Oh, mum, keep your mouth shut, please. He's a Sunday school teacher, and he doesn't do any harm. And, he, he, and the backstory for my crime, my offence, was, well, I am a nice lad. Please be kind to him. And uh, they didn't. They still did me for £10 and three points on my licence. But every story is a backstory. We don't know the backstory to this guy. He may have been, the, you know, disabled from a child. And the four friends just loved him. And we will care for you. Or maybe like Joni, if you read Joni Erickson Tarder years ago, dived into the pool, became paraplegic because of a broken neck. Maybe it was that. We don't know. But what we do know from reading the scripture, the friends displayed chutzpah in its extreme. Audacity. Go to a house. Can't get in. Shall we walk away? No, let's rip the roof off. And somebody there has got to repair the roof. They didn't care. They had the gall and the temerity that nothing was going to stop them from bringing this man to Jesus. What happened with Jesus and this man? He'd be down to Jesus. But we will do whatever we can. And that's what they did. I don't know about you, but so often it's easy just to give up on praying. Sue said it right. Have I prayed enough? I've often said that. Have I prayed enough? Has it not happened because I've not prayed enough? Should I fast? Maybe that will twist God's hand. But maybe sometimes God says, I just want a bit of shameless boldness. A bit of cheeky courage. And as I say, it goes against our bringing up life in the church. Remember uh, in Sunday school, where Sunday schools had a lot of people and when the leader was going to pray, he would say, fingers on lips, fingers on lips. And, and, and we would have to be fingers on lips so somebody could pray quietly and respectfully. And I understand that. And I'm, you know, I'm not looking at it negative. But that's how prayer is for so many of us. Hands together, eyes closed. I say that with Noah when I get a chance to have a little prayer with him. Close your eyes, hands together. Or, remember the one, two, three, arms out, fold, head down. And and that's been ingrained in my psyche. And how many people see prayer a bit like that? 
Prayer, you come respectful. Prayer, you come and you be nice. But maybe sometimes we need to come a bit bold. Shameless boldness. I like that. The wild goose. The Celts call the Holy Spirit the wild goose. And when I heard that some years ago, my back went up. I said, no, he's not. He's the dove. The Bible said he's the dove. And yet he is the wild goose. Because you can't tame the wild goose. There's an unpredictability. There's a danger that surrounds the goose. And that's how the Celts look at the Holy Spirit. And yet sadly many of us in the church, not necessarily here, but we've domesticated God. And we come to him in our siloed way. And the problem is we then become caged in our own Christian walk. I remember one minister um, came to me once and he gave me a word. He says, God is telling me to tell you this. The cage doors open. Be free. But many of us, we attain God. And yet Jesus says this in Luke 7. And the Lord said, what shall I liken the men of this generation and what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace, calling one to another, saying, we played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We mourned to you, and you did not weep. You see, so many of us have tamed God to be, if I do this, you will do that. And God says, I don't always play the games that you want to play. And yet, if you look at scripture, this chutzpah, this temerity, God often engages with look at Genesis 18 Abraham you know the story Sodom and Gomorrah God says to Abraham I'm going to Sodom and Gomorrah and if they are as wicked as they say I will destroy and Abraham with his temerity I heard one man say if a Christian was told this by God he would say God give me a word and he would have pride look at what God told me judgment is coming but for Abraham it drove him to his knees. And he said, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now, we don't know the tone of the voice. You know, the only way to do that is to go into the Hebrew and look at which, the inflection and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there's 50 righteous within the city. Would you destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this. I mean, that's cheek and boldness and... In its extreme. And yet, God listened to it. Or you've got Moses. Children of Israel, yet again, had been doing what they normally do. And God was going to destroy them. And Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak? He's, you know, he's... he's He's even asking God, look, what about your own, I'm not saying he's pride, but why would you allow yourself to be accused? Why other nations? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out to arm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? And Moses says, turn your fierce wrath and relent. Remember Abraham, Isaac, Israel. You swore by your own self. I mean, that's cheek. That's temerity. That's gore. Or you've got Matthew 15. 
the demonized daughter. Jesus went out from there, departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from the region and cried out, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her, not a word. How many of us, when we pray and we don't hear anything, we give up? Well, God's not going to talk to me. Like the old C.S. Lewis when his wife died, and I've said it many times, and he comes to God and all he hears is a door shut behind him, clang and an emptiness, and he walks away. But what does she do? She goes to his disciples, badges them with cheek and boldness. Send her away, for she cries out after us, the disciples said to Jesus. But he answered, I wasn't sent except to the lost house, lost sheep of the house of Israel, Then she came to him and worshipped, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And she was healed. I mean, that's cheek. That's temerity. That's gall. That's, I'm not accepting no for an answer. We've got Luke 18. I won't read all of it. But the story is the judge, the unjust judge. And it said, though I do not regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. One version says, lest by her coming she beats me black and blue. And Jesus, he commended this type of prayer. Well, you've got Bartimaeus. There's Bartimaeus. Lord, help me. Jesus, help me. People tell him to be quiet. And what does he do? Praise even the more. He prayed with chutzpah. He prayed with cheek. And he didn't care what people thought. Because the passion was within him. But every person mentioned knew something about the character of God that fueled the fire. That kept them praying. Moses knew that God was the true shepherd. Abraham knew God was a God of compassion. Bartimaeus knew the power of Jesus to heal. And when we pray... Pray with the knowledge of God's character. Pray his word. Pray, Lord, you desire that no one should be lost. Let it stir the fire within us again. El Shaddai, the God who provides. The Hebrew for Shaddai is the the goat's teats. Because they work picture language. He is the God who provides. Are you in need of peace? He's the God of peace. He's the good shepherd. See, many in Scripture prayed with this sense of chutzpah. It's a Jewish way of praying. And God engaged with them. So does that mean if I, as of now, pray in the same way, saying, right, I'm coming to you, Lord, with this temerity, and I'm going to quote your word, you will do it for me? Well, the answer is no. Because that is called the law of linearity. And so many of us have been brought upon that. If I do my bit then God's obligated to do his. A plus B equals an answered prayer. But it doesn't always work because that becomes mechanistic. Mechanistic. Yet the beauty of it is, it is a type of prayer that God does engage with. That God seems to enjoy. That God seems to say, pray like that. Remind me of who I am. Remind me of scriptures. And yes, there are times when we pray and God doesn't answer. But you know, whatever the greatest need is, you cannot beat having a revelation of Jesus. 
even when we have the why questions. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, I, I sort of said, why didn't God tell me my mom was on the floor for 12 hours? Why didn't God tell one of you? You're spirit-filled people. And I came to God angry. And I said, you're the God who cares. Why didn't you do it? And I thought, maybe God will give me an answer. Because I've done A. And God, you're obligated to do B. But you know, the greatest revelation I've had is peace. I don't know why. But I've had a sense of Jesus. Because he is peace. The best answer... To whatever prayer we pray is a revelation of Jesus. The why questions, the when, the how. The best way is knowing and seeing Jesus. John, John's on the Isle of Patmos. And I'm going to use um, poetic license here. And it may be completely wrong. But there's John on the Isle of Patmos. And he's praying, Lord, I'm 80 years of age. I'm being punished I'm being made to do hard labour. We have little food. My 11 friends, the disciples, have all died and I'm on my own. Lord, can you not just make it a bit easy for me? Like the fiddler on the roof. Lord, why can't I be a rich man? Why can't you just make life easy? And the answer to John's prayer was a revelation of Jesus. He saw Jesus in all his glory. And that was the best answer anyone could have. He knew it was enough. Like Sue said, it's enough. He knew to rest. He knew to surrender. Whatever's going on, the best answer to prayer is a revelation of Jesus. Because he puts everything into its context then. So, as I finish, right, should we start praying with this chutzpah and, and, and reminding God of his word? And he will do. Well, maybe he will, maybe he won't. Because God is not mechanistic. God is the wild goose. But it's just another style. As is liturgy. As is bells and smells. As is the for him sandwich. As is lectico divina, as is so many ways. And I just want to say, diversify in your way of approaching God. And many times I use chutzpah when I'm struggling. But the greatest answer to all our prayers is that revelation of Jesus. Because that just brings peace. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.